it's a problem. It's a big problem. On September 26th, explosions happened. It has now later been confirmed by Swedish and Danish authorities in a joint report to the UN that it was TNT. What it led to was what is believed to potentially be the largest release of methane gas into the atmosphere in history. What's cooking, everybody? That's right. You got me this week. Solo pod, haven't done one since number 75, and that was only because I had COVID that time, and frankly, I didn't have to do one this week. I do have an episode done with John Boziak, who was an infamous credit card scammer, very, very entertaining guy, but that was not the episode I was going to be putting out this week. I had John's episode slated to go out next week all along. The guy who I was going to bring in this week, I won't say who it is. It's it's a really good guess, but he was here over the weekend and we were going to record. He had taken a train down from Boston because he was on the East Coast for the week and there was some sort of mix-up where he's standing downstairs right after he took the time to get here and I asked him when his flight was because usually like I'll handle that when it's someone from out of town, but this one – he had handled on his end and it turned out the flight was like an hour and a half later. And I'm like, dude, you got to go to the airport right now. Like this is Philadelphia. You might not fucking make it. <laughs> so I told him we would absolutely make that up and get him in here when he's on the East coast next, probably sometime in the next couple months. So I'm looking forward to that. But I was taking a look at like what I could do this week. And I'm like, well, I, I could put John's episode out and finish all the marketing around that and, and get that ready to go. Or I could stick to, to plan and throw in a solo episode at what I think is actually a pretty opportune time. So I'm going to go with that. And, and we're going to do a solo episode as you can see, cause you're fucking watching right now. But if you guys in the meantime, have some topics that you are interested in us covering here or some – even some guest ideas you might have. I can't guarantee anything. I got to take a look into people, see if I could even get them in here or if I want to speak to them. But if you have ideas, throw them down in the comments below. I'd love to hear that. I, I don't ask that enough. So honestly, it's, it's not because I don't want to. It's because I forget to. There's just too much going on. But I'm excited about – a bunch of the people we have coming in into pretty much the rest of the year. And it's it's a great diverse group of guests of all different types of backstories and situations and, and subject matter. So I think that's going to be really good. I'm looking forward to that. But in the meantime, the reason the solo episode made a lot of sense is because of this whole Nord Stream thing that happened on the 26th where the pipeline in the Baltic Sea exploded. So – for those of you out out there who are unfamiliar with Nord Stream or have probably heard it in passing at least since the outbreak of the Ukrainian invasion of the Russia of Russia's invasion of Ukraine it it is very very important to understand why this thing is so central to this ongoing conflict and to what could be a really rough winter in Europe right now so I think sometimes it's easy to glaze over, not 
not easy, but we tend to glaze over things that sound like clunky and don't have a clear story to them. You know, we hear about some natural gas pipeline and it's like, okay, all right, gas, people need it, whatever, that's a problem. And we kind of, that's it. And sometimes that's even a, a mistake I make, but this is a significant problem because of the timing of when this is happening, when this explosion is happening, and the confusion around what could have caused it. So, of course, there's instantly narratives that came out right away where you had people either saying Russia 1000% did it or the U.S. 1000% did it. Those were the two main ones. I think there's still a lot of information that hopefully we will get to come out, but that would need to come out for us to see exactly what happened. We can have some guesses, but that's that's kind of I'm, I'm more in the it's. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a problem. It's a big problem. No matter how you crack this, you are looking at a situation where we are now headed into what will be, you know, the normal four to five month depths of the winter in the colder parts of Western Europe. And by the way, that does include Ukraine too. And we now face a situation where there could be significant energy resources lacking. Now, let's let's take this from the top just so that people can understand what the hell that means and, and why that's the case. So Nord Stream is an oil – or not an oil, a natural gas pipeline that runs from Russia to Germany on the bed of on, – on the bottom bed of the Baltic Sea. And there are two – pipelines that run right basically right next to each other the whole way the full 750 miles give or take called Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 Nord Stream 1 has been in operation since I believe 2011 and by the way I will put a map of that in the corner so you can see exactly where this runs if you're watching on the screen right now on YouTube or Spotify but Nord Stream 1 can hold around 55 billion cubic meters of natural gas throughout the year. Not not hold it, but send through it. That's its capacity. And the reason that this gas is coming in is because it, it powers a lot <laughs> in Europe. And namely, it helps heat homes across the whole winter. That's certainly a, a, a main feature of, of what it's used for. And Russia is a very natural gas heavy country they actually i have a i have a list of that so you can see and i will put that in the corner of the screen as well let me just read it off so i have it too so if you look at yearly gas production in mmcf which is million cubic feet of gas the united states leads the way around the world with 32 billion million russia is number 2 with 22.7 million billion i guess that's how you say it but to give you an idea of how much of the percentage of the world that they 
account for with that. Number three is Iran, who we don't exactly have a good relationship with, nor do a lot of countries, at about 9 million billion. And then Canada at 6.7 and so on down. The best that Europe's doing is Norway with 5.7 billion. More on Norway in a second, by the way. And Algeria, which is not in Europe, but it's close. It's right across in Africa, right across from France. Across the, is that the Strait of Gibraltar there? No, Gibraltar's Spain, but Algeria, Algeria is like right below Spain and France. I'll put that in the corner too. I'm getting it mixed up in my head. But either way, Europe has relied in recent years on Russia for 40% of their natural gas. And again, this Nord Stream pipeline was went into use in around 2011. It had been produced throughout the 2000s, and it was part of the opening of business in what was now the sovereign nation of Russia with Europe post-Soviet. So when the Soviet Union first collapsed in the years right after that, Europe was very careful to not get too dependent on Russia for things because they didn't trust them, this, that, this, that. And then time went by. And that's usually what happens with this shit. People let time go by. They get lazy. They start just trying to solve a problem right now and saying it's all going to work out. And that's essentially what Europe did because Germany, especially in in concert with Russia, built this Nord Stream 1, put it in, turned on the spigot. rest is history. So now fast forward to 2022. Throughout the 2010s, there was discussion and then development of the second pipeline that had occurred. So I'm not fast forwarding yet. Let me give this background. And that was Nord Stream 2. Nord Stream 2, also 750 miles, give or take, in the Baltic Sea, runs basically directly next to Nord Stream 1. Same capacity, 55 cubic meters, 55 billion cubic meters of capacity a year, and would provide another spigot for Russia to be sending in gas. And, and by the way, when Russia's doing this, it's through a company called Gazprom, which is effectively run by the Russian government. So it's owned by one of their oligarchs who reports directly to Putin. They control what goes on. And so the United States had a lot of issues about Europe even doubling up what they do with Russia throughout the 2010s. And that was fairly placed too, because they're like, oh my God, you guys are going to become so energy reliant on Russia that if there are geopolitical conflicts, like, I don't know, Russia invading Ukraine, you're going to have an issue with being able to cut off the spigot of money to them because you need it. It's very, very simple. That, that, that part's the simplest part about it. And on Europe's end, for one thing, Natural gas is not – like th this is the most convenient way they're going to get it. And let's call it what it is. Business and money and is it's the same thing in government. And in this case, they're trying to make sure they get the best deal for their people even if it's not geopolitically the best in the long term or it has risks in the long term. And so the US may want to push ways such as – Importing natural gas in liquid form, liquefied natural gas from other places like Africa or even the US and Canada and bring it over to Europe and delivering it that way. But that's a lot of cost, number one. Number two, it's definitely self-serving for countries like Canada and the US. And number three, it's not 
like Europe doesn't have the the proper centers all set up to do that or the number of them that they would need. This is where it gets a little – you're a little above my pay grade talking about that. But there are specific like intake plants where they would have to do that and they'd have to build them all over the continent. It's just, It's just totally inconvenient and costly. So of course they never did that. The pipelines that they relied on often came from Russia. They came through – I mean there's some produced in Europe as well, but there's some that come from – Obviously, like the Middle East as well. So it's not like it's all there. Like I said, Russia was about 40%, but the 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 percentage was growing over time and Nord Stream 2 was going to present potentially – I'm not going to speculate on what the number would have been, but it would have been higher than 40% by the year that it goes into place. So now fast forward to 2022. Russia invades Ukraine in February. There was – Heating up of that situation throughout, you could say, January and into February before it happened at the end of the month where this started to become a political football. And by this, I mean Nord Stream 2 because countries were saying the US was leading the way who doesn't rely on it. But they were speaking for the EU and saying like, hey, we're not going to allow – like none of us are – no one's going to be using Nord Stream 2 if you do this invasion, and we'll turn off Nord Stream 1. And Russia was like, fuck you, and they invaded. And Europe did, along with the US, sanction Russia in all kinds of ways and turn down how much energy they used. Now, the timing of the invasion was also very peculiar because Russia did it towards the end of February. Still winter, still call it six to eight weeks of rough winter, cold weather across parts of the parts of Europe that get really cold, which there's plenty of parts of Europe that are like that. But it wasn't a full winter. It wasn't a situation where in a short squeeze, Europe would be fucked. Now, prices obviously went through the roof. Oil, natural gas, everything skyrocketed. But they got through it. And one of the things I think about is I had Bustamante, the CIA agent, in here in the end of April. And then I had him in here again at the beginning of July. And both times, I believe on both podcasts, but definitely privately with me off the podcast and it was at least in one of them. He talked about... The looming winter and its effect on the war in Ukraine. And he's like, look, you know, obviously I, I want to see Ukraine pull through this, but I'm concerned that that's not going to happen. I'm concerned that the narratives are a little off. Ukraine's done a nice job, but like people are treating it like they're beating the shit out of Russia. And that's not necessarily the case as much as we want it to be true. Furthermore, he said, what happens when winter comes? Winters and and both times, winter was far enough away that he's like, you know, a couple things can happen. Putin can get some of his emergency financial situations from all these sanctions at least under control and be in a spot where he's not in deep shit. And also, by the way, he's still during all this time, he's been pushing out oil was still I'll get to how what happened with the natural gas, but he's still at least pushing it out like they're still making money. They're contracting, but they're making money. So they're not dying. And he's like, and then winter comes, and what happens if suddenly there's energy problems? 
in Ukraine, but in Europe too. What happens to the sanctions? Does that does then Russia start going into the green? Maybe like these were possibilities. He wasn't saying like this is definitely going to happen or that's going to be this. It's like these are things we got to look at. And it was a constant warning of the winter, the winter, the winter. And so the more I spoke with other people as well, who I would describe as people of note, breaking down geopolitical situations like this, that was a theme I continued to hear over the past few months especially. People were like, what's going to happen in the winter? And over the summer, we saw an escalation in the energy war. I'm not talking about what happened on the 26th. We're still not there with the explosion of, of the pipelines on September 26th. I'm talking about in July after the scheduled maintenance days. So when the invasion happened, yes, Nord Stream 1 turned down how much natural gas was being sent through it. Like Russia significantly reduced, I believe at the behest of Europe, Europe reduced how much they allowed Russia to send them through that. So they became less reliant for the time being on Russian energy. And they even put out like these, these goals that they were going to have total energy independence by 2030, like in, independent from Russia. But Russia's looking at that going... Well, what about when you get to winter next year? You're not going to be ready. Are you going to have all these reserve places ready to be able to bring in liquefied gas from foreign places and deliquefied and get it into natural form? Like, is, are are all your are all your ducks going to be in a row? Probably not. And so Europe was overshooting it. Invasion happens and it persists. Ukraine doesn't just win right away, and Russia continues to bide time. So once we get to July, Russia has what's what amounts to about a 10-day maintenance period on the pipes. Because again, they are still sending at this time natural gas through those pipes, through Nord Stream 1. I think I said this. I want to make sure though. Nord Stream 2, when the war broke out, I may not have said this. The EU said no. It was It was done. It was ready to be turned on. And they said, no, we're not turning it on. So Nord Stream 2 never sent gas. So they were only still sending it through one. And the U.S. was adamant that Nord Stream 1 should not be turned on. Or Nord Stream 2 should never be turned on because of what Russia did here. And they, again, they had been worried about it through throughout the 2010s. So we get to July. Russia has this 10-day maintenance period where it completely turns off, which again happens every summer. But then when they come back, there's a lot less gas coming through. They're sending a lot less, like less than Europe was asking for. <laughs> like even though they had pulled back, they still wanted more and they weren't getting it because they also can't build reserves when they're getting it, when they're not receiving it, right? They want to be able to get fattened up for the winter, right, if they need it. So then we get into August and the number goes like that. And if there's a chart, I, I may have looked at it. I don't know if I saved it, but if I can find it, I'll put it in the corner. And you will see that Russia's output through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline of natural gas to Europe went down to zero. They took it off before effectively Labor Day in America. It was gone. Now this whole time, and this is worth noting, 
Russia still has been sending natural gas through Ukraine's pipelines that run to Europe. <laughs> so Gazprom has been paying Ukraine in hard currency. It was still that way, at least at the beginning of the war. They were paying Ukraine in hard currency while they were fucking invading them, which is a wild concept to me. But hey, like lights got to turn on, and that includes the people that provide it so that they can turn their own lights on by getting money for what they provide. So that didn't change. But now with it going down to zero, you're talking about Europe getting their energy from the Middle East, from that pipeline running through Ukraine, which is in the middle of a fucking war zone, and the country that runs it is being invaded by the country that's sending it. Not exactly stable, if you will. And then some of Europe's own pipelines with what they produce. More on that in a second, too. So there was a danger, if you're thinking about this a little deeper, there was a danger that Europe was going to need to break down and say, fuck it, we need it from Russia and give Russia a win, which Russia could fuck them and say, no, you guys are going to let your people freeze to death in the winter and, and people will die. This will be a disaster. It'll be your fucking fault because we're doing fine with everything else. Again, you know, they're still they're exporting to China. I believe they're exporting to India. I didn't I know that India has not put any sanctions against them. I hope I'm right about that. Correct me in the comments if I'm wrong, because that was not a part of what I checked before I went on this. But either way, like they're still doing business around the world. Lights are on. So maybe Russia could have been like, No, we're not gonna turn it on. Or on the contrary. They could have been like, fuck yeah, we'll turn it on. Now we're going to make a lot of money and everything you're going to do, everything you've said, all the sanctions you've put against us are effectively null and void now. Congratulations, you played yourself. That's a reasonable explanation as far as like if you're Russia thinking about this just of like trying to pack your bat line, your bags here. Right, I mean you're trying to fund a fucking war as well. You're trying to get yourself on footing after the world split you off in many of the in, – in, from the West pretty much when, when all this came out. So like yeah, they may very well say yes to that. And then Europe becomes once again reliant on Russian natural gas. And in the meantime, to supplement all the lack of reserves they have and the crunch they're in to get gas in and, and be able to – be completely prepared for the winter. It's also worth noting that Europe was is actively looking at getting the coal energy going again, which runs completely contrary to all the language they've used with respect to the effect on on the climate that they've been talking about for years now and with what they've been trying to do with shut shutting down the entire coal industry in Europe. They're going to have to take a step back, which again, in a squeeze, I guess they have to, but that doesn't look good for your PR and for your the strength of your word in politics with people because it's like, oh, well, you've been telling us coal's evil all this time. Now we're fucking using it? So there's, there's a lot of different – that's a little convoluted part right there, but there's a lot of different moving pieces that are happening as we're now in October, but – this this is all happening, what I'm talking about, in July, August, and early September where Europe's thinking like this. So in September, with the energy off – or the energy off – with the natural gas off, 
and not coming through Nord Stream 1 and Europe trying to figure out who's going to blink first here. On September 26th, explosions happened. What's now been confirmed is explosions at the bottom of the Baltic Sea by Germany on Nord Stream 1, which, again, wasn't sending any gas at the time, but it, it did have gas in it, which that part's confusing to me, but that is the case. So there were, I believe, two explosions based on what the reports have been. It has now later been confirmed by Swedish and Danish authorities in a joint report to the UN that it was TNT that did it, so explosive TNT at the bottom of the Baltic Sea. And these these two explosions exploded the pipes in three places, I believe it was. But what it led to was what is believed to potentially be the largest release of methane gas into the atmosphere in history. And there was actually a big one, I think earlier this year, I didn't even know about this one, but in Mexico, in the Gulf of Mexico, within Mexico's jurisdiction, there was a giant leak in a pipe that led to, I forget the number, but it was like the biggest methane leak ever, which again, for everyone looking at the climate out there, like that's one of the key drivers that's a problem for affecting our ozone layer and all the science there that honestly Eric Olson's a lot more qualified to run through the terminology with than I am, so I won't get too deep. But effectively, it's very bad. Like y- you don't want that happening. And ironically, it's happening at the same time where the EU has to be talking about potentially using coal, which is also a problem because it releases some of these gases. And it's happening like on their turf. I mean, the whole thing is just a giant shot in the fucking face. So explosion happens and immediately every government suspects sabotage and starts talking about that. And as it's now been confirmed, it, it was. It, it was actual explosions. It wasn't some natural event. But the narratives formed right away. And here's the thing about narratives. Number one, they're all shaped by the various intelligence services who are all lying to each other or among each other even. And they're all shaped by uh, political scores in in every country. And so in today's time, I mean, it's kind of wild. Like you'll watch people like serious people react in like tweets almost, you know, it's crazy to me because this is this is a major geopolitical event, but that's just kind of where we're at. I think it was the was it the president of Poland tweeted like "Thanks U.S." or something like that. It's like you, you can't make this shit up. I, I don't know if that's what it was. If it was, I'll put that tweet in the corner of the screen. But instantly, you had the U.S. and some of the EU nations publicly saying Russia sabotaged it to blow up this thing. And I'll get to that in a minute. And then you had Russia and I think some other countries implying that the U.S. did it. There's also two other possibilities out there that I want to talk about that I one of them is, is being talked about publicly. The other one, not so much. But the first one is that Ukraine could have had something to do with this. Let's, let's, let's touch that one for a minute. So first of all, I don't know a hell of a lot about the Ukrainian intelligence services, but people I've spoken with 
have said, in addition to the fact that Ukraine's worried about a fucking war on their home turf, they don't exactly have the craziest intelligence service ever. The idea that they would have gone into European territory and pulled off a mission like this that would also risk all the support they're getting from Western nations, including Europe and the United States, if they were caught doing it, is pretty wild. Like that, that seems a little far-fetched. But what would the motive be? And do they have one? Well, they could. Because effectively, they may have thought, holy shit, Europe's going to be in such a bind, they're going to have to turn on Nord Stream 1 and maybe Nord Stream 2, but at least Nord Stream 1 and pump a lot of money into Russia, who's going to use that money over the winter to drive their – finance their war on us and finish us off. And so Ukraine's like, holy shit, you can't do this. And they were telling people, please don't use that pipeline. Oh my god, they might use it. Let's blow it up. Like that's the idea that they could have come up with. I don't think they could have pulled it off, but again, like I'm not I'm not familiar enough with the extent of their operations and capabilities to be able to say that definitively. There's a lot better people that could comment on that than me. The other outside the box possibility that I don't think happened, but that I really haven't seen anyone talking about is like what if what if it was like China or something? Who just wants to see everyone fight with each other and bicker and sit back and laugh while they do it. Hypothetically, could have been them. I don't see enough upside for them doing that. They already have upside with this war going on because they're kind of sitting off outside it. They're watching the US and Europe do this dance of like trying to be a united front. But then Russia also continue to trade with other countries like China and effectively move through Ukraine whether or not they're going to be successful all the way on that remains to be seen but China's like kind of in a decent spot with that and the fact that if if they blew up this pipeline and that led to price increases in the winter which was already going to be a thing that would also affect China because China is relying on getting resources from Russia like natural gas. This uh, this I was just looking into. So I don't know as much about exactly how much it is, but my understanding from what I've seen, and please tell me in the comments if you know more, but they that is, that's a back and forth that is already happening as far as like them getting natural resources from Russia. So – this would affect their bottom line because now you've taken away a supply chain because that Nord Stream 1 won't be fixed and it won't be in – it won't be an option throughout this winter. So I don't really buy the China one. The two possibilities seem to be the two that in the Western – in the United States media are the two they're fighting over the most, which is either Russia did it as an act of self-sabotage or the United States did it. To sabotage the pipeline and prevent Europe from touching this thing. <sighs> Let's start with the Russia one. So Russia, it, it could be that they are – they want to do that to then sow discord and accuse the United States of doing it to then create distrust among the European allies, the United States, and then in the middle of that, Ukraine. And by the way, that's a textbook Russia play. Russia has a very, very effective intelligence 
organization, and it's actually like kind of multiple, but like their their intelligence apparatus is very, very good and highly respected in post-Soviet Russia. They do some they do some very blatant shit too. I mean, I mean, we've seen that. We've talked about, for example, the Alexander Litvinenko hit on this podcast, who, who someone David Satter had a lot in common with and knows his wife now and everything, but they, they murdered Litvinenko on in London on British soil, like and really didn't conceal that it was them doing it. These guys are brash. They will do things like this. And what's very curious is that the explosion occurred and I'll put the map of where the explosion was in the corner. The explosion occurred close to Germany. It didn't occur close to Russia with with, extent, with, with respect to the, the pipeline. So it was much closer to the European side of it, which could all – I mean that's very much like the kind of Russian move. Like, all right, well, let's do it over there because then they'll think, well, it had to be someone else. Why would they do it here? Why wouldn't they – if it was Russia, they'd do it close to home. So there's a lot working in their favor that they would have done that. And you'd say, well, why would they blow up something that they can make money on to send natural gas to Europe? Perhaps it's because they know that now they still have all the natural gas. They will have to – Europe will have to still get some from them through these other pipelines. Yes, they'll have to pay Ukraine as in Russia will have to pay Ukraine to send through their pipes in this case. But – the price of natural gas and resources will skyrocket throughout the winter. Countries will be forced to do business with Russia. Russia also profits off that skyrocketing lack of supply. They make more money. They finance the war. And most importantly, in the middle of all this, they sow dissent among the allies because the allies are sitting there going, wait, did, did one of us do this? Did one of us do this? And that leads to the U.S. side. So you saw like a lot of people coming out right away and saying the U.S. did this. The U.S. did this. Could have. I also think like the means of it are a little bit short-sighted if you're from the U.S. perspective. So as an example, if I were a European right now, so for my fans out there who are from England, Denmark, we got some people in Germany. Got some people in Italy. I, I'm missing a few countries that I've heard from some of you on. But for you guys out there, yeah, if the U.S. did this, I'd, I'd be pissed at the U.S. 100%. If it's set up that you guys are going to be able to get through the winter and not have a lot of problems because the U.S. is coming to the rescue, even if it pumps their own bags a little bit, but everything's okay, then in the long term, it's like, okay, you shouldn't have done that, but I think you could get past that. Either way, I'd be pissed right now. If I'm in the U.S., and I am in the U.S., I'm an American. I mean, I, I don't think this is a good idea per se. I, I think there's a lot of risk to doing this kind of thing. But it's it's like I can see the argument for why they would have done this. They didn't want that energy reliance with Europe and Russia. They essentially – then hopefully and it's it's it, again it's dependent on if the US has a plan to actually be able to supplement Europe and make sure they're good if not then this is a clusterfuck of a situation if it was them who did it but it also presents the opportunity to be able to compete right with Russia's disinformation apparatuses where you can say well 
no, they did it to try to sabotage it to break us all apart. It's like this constant back and forth that you could see with that. I mean, it's a possibility. I just don't. It's hard for me to see. Like it, it, it seems to be both situations, Russia and the U.S., seem to be too obvious to me. That's my problem with this. They're too obvious. You can run the tape. So let's let's look at the U.S. with, with this. So first of all, when this happens, immediately, Ant- Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, comes out and says this benefits – something along the lines of this benefits nobody. This is good for nothing. Not horrible situation. We'll we'll have more information. We're we're gonna get to the bottom of it. Implies that it's Russia. Three days later, the guy comes out and says this. Ultimately, um, this is also a tremendous opportunity. It's a tremendous opportunity to once and for all remove the dependence on Russian energy, and thus to take away from uh, Vladimir Putin the weaponization of energy as a means of advancing. Uh, his uh, imperial designs. Uh, that's very significant, and, and that offers tremendous um, strategic opportunity for um, for the years to come. But meanwhile, we're determined to do everything we possibly can uh, to make sure that the consequences of all of this are not borne by citizens in our countries or, for that matter, around the world. Now, what changed in three days? What changed that much? Now he's saying like, oh, this is a huge opportunity. My senses could be like, oh, that's a political sell. Certainly a possibility. But he's also saying this, I believe, during a joint appearance with the foreign minister of Canada. And again, if you remember my list, Canada is another natural gas rich resource on our side of the world who could stand to benefit from maybe having to supply Europe. I don't know. That's a, that's a quick shift. And then immediately then, tinfoil hat goes right on looking at it from our end going, oh, that's just – that's according to plan. Then you look at the tape of our old friend Victoria Newland, who seems to be at the middle of every dumb recorded conversation ever as it pertains to Ukraine. Like the shit – and some of them are recorded. Others are like she knows she's being recorded. She's on a fucking camera giving an interview or better yet – giving testimony to Congress and saying this stuff. But she was the woman who was caught having the conversation, like the leaked conversation back in 2014, talking about like who they wanted to be the next leader of Ukraine during this overthrow of the government and all that, which again, you know, Maidan in 2014 was a wild thing and and Ukraine has been caught at the middle of awful Russian aggression. But it's not exactly a good thing to have a U.S., government high level government official playing fantasy draft with the fucking head of a foreign country that's right next to an enormous foreign country that feels threatened by the west lining up against them that's not exactly the best look i think we can all agree on that she's another one in addition to biden by the way who has been adamant since the beginning of the ukraine invasion and just before about like north stream 2 is not going to happen like we're not going to let that happen whatever but then you have newland Here, here's a couple clips of her i'm gonna start with one with i forget when this was i think this was somewhat this was this year i believe but this this is a quick one where she discusses with the whole invasion of ukraine and the effect on what the United States attitude would be towards Nord Stream 2. 
Um, with regard to Nord Stream 2, uh, we continue to have uh, very strong and clear conversations uh, with our German allies, and I want to be clear with you today. If Russia invades Ukraine, one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Again, like, making it seem very obvious, which this this almost seems like like I'd look at like when I look at Russia with these situations, how obvious they make things as well. Like we're kind of taking a page out of their book, but Russia also plays to that by playing every side of it. I, I don't know how to say that right in words. That definitely is very confusing to people. But like that's kind of Russia's brand because they're not a democracy. Like they, they have control of their people. So they can use things like that to their advantage. It doesn't affect them like it affects us where people – have a fucking opinion they can say what they want right there was another one though the second clip of victoria was when she was talking with senate in december 2021 and this is a back and forth with with republican ron johnson who seems to be trying to put words in her mouth to get her to agree with him and she does that the Nord Stream 2 cannot happen And mind you, there was also a bill in late 2021, early 2022 that I believe was authored by Ted Cruz, another Republican in Senate, who was trying to create barriers to Nord Stream 2 being able to happen and be used by putting economic sanctions on any European company that would be involved with it, which got shut down. But this was a narrative that Republicans were trying to push and it reeks of like that whole like double party in on it trying to make shit happen in the world stuff when you put it all together because it seems to be, you know, you look at Republicans, you look at Democrats, they don't dislike that this conflict's happening. That's just what it looks like. And this is just more evidence of it right here. So I'll play this one, Ron Johnson and Victoria Newland in December 2021. One thing that I believe certainly the Senate Foreign Relations Committee is pretty unified on, it may not be unanimous, was our support for sanctions against the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And that I think we were all, many of us were very disappointed that uh, those sanctions were not fully implemented and the construction continued. Um, I can't think of a, a more powerful way to punish uh, Russian aggression than by rolling back what progress has been made and, if at all possible, uh, prevent the Nord Stream 2 from ever being completed. Uh, is that something that is being discussed with allies? Is that something that's being contemplated? Absolutely. And as, if, as you recall from the July U.S.-German statement, that was very much uh, in that statement that if that any moves Russian aggression against Ukraine uh, would have a direct impact on the pipeline, and that is our expectation and the conversation that we're having. So again, direct impact is one thing, but I, I'm I'm literally talking about rolling back the the, the pipeline. You know, it, you can loosely define that, but I mean, taking action that will prevent it from ever becoming operational. I think if President. Putin moves on Ukraine. Our expectation is that the pipeline will be suspended. Well, I certainly hope uh, that the Senate Foreign Relations Committee would take up 
legislation to go beyond just suspending it, but from ending it permanently. But anyway, thank you, uh, Undersecretary Newland. And there you have it. So it's almost like they, point being like they choreographed that this type of stuff would happen, which if I'm Russia, I'd play on that all day. If I'm looking at this and saying, could the U.S. have done it, though, I could also point right to this and say, well, yeah, they choreographed it. So it leaves me in a place where I don't know. Again, the the other two remote possibilities, Ukraine, China, I, I don't think those were it. Even though in Ukraine's situation, they definitely have a lot of motive to be able to do it, I think. But... I think the situation, no matter what, is a loss, no matter how you crack this at this point, because you now have behind closed doors all these different countries. Like, remember, with the EU, these are all individual countries. There's a lot of them. They all have their own opinions. And behind closed doors, there are a lot of people sitting here just like me or just like you saying, like, could could they have... Was it them or was it them? So there's doubt. There's dysfunction. There is potential dissension. And again, the U.S. is in a position to be able to win monetarily on something like this. That doesn't help because, of course, they're going to do that to be able to help Europe if they have to in the winter right here now. But then it also it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. And of course... You know, the CIA is also one of the best intelligence organizations in the world. It it probably is the best. So it's not like if you're looking at any operation that could have something to do with them, you you can't rule them out. I mean, they could have pulled this off. It's not like the Ukraine thing. So I'm going to be looking at this extremely closely over the next few weeks especially. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of – disinformation floating around from various governments and intelligence agencies trying to deflect of things that they may be figuring out about it. So we're never going to get the full story. But this, if it was done with any level of carelessness by the perpetrators who did it, and it's reasonable to come out with good evidence that even the masses could get behind the explanation. Not everyone will ever get behind one explanation, but you know what I mean? Like more people will get behind like, okay, that makes sense. The geopolitical implications of that would be severe. I got to think that whoever did pull this off, pulled it off in in a tactically brilliant way, six layers removed from them to be able to not bring back any blame. But I guess that'll remain to be seen either way. We are now headed in smack dab to that winner that Bustamante has talked about and other people have talked about. And I'm not sure how bad this is going to get. Now, I'm not just talking about for Ukraine. I'm, I'm talking about for Europe as a whole. Like the wartime measures are looking at hitting them, not just in the pocketbook, but also in a survival sense if they are – If we're looking at severe energy shortages, we have already heard rumors about rationing and the like. So that's going to be very, very, very interesting. Hold on one sec. I got to 
I gotta fix something up there on the screen. Be right back. Hey guys, I'm recording this part later because I just finished editing the episode and I realized that when I got up to fix the screen and then sat back down, I totally forgot to mention the last thing I left a prelude in there somewhere for, which had to do with European natural gas pipelines. And specifically, what I was referring to is the fact that the day after this bombing of the Nord Stream pipelines occurred, September 27th, the Baltic pipeline was due to open up, and I believe it it still did. But the Baltic pipeline is a European-only natural gas pipeline that runs from Norway, which is one of Europe's biggest natural gas-heavy countries like producers, down through Denmark into Poland. So I don't know. That part is really I'm – I'm hung up on that part. I don't know if what kind of connection there is there, but that's a little bit – that's a little bit too circumstantial for me to ignore it. That that certainly doesn't seem like a coincidence that this could have had something to do with that. What, what I can't totally figure out is what the motives would have looked like on either of the main two scenarios, Russia or U.S., with respect to that pipeline. I'm not really sure. But that hypothetically will be up and running. So they'll they'll have that going, but it doesn't. I believe it doesn't have the same capacity or anything, and it's not replacing what Nord Stream could give, but certainly suspect. So anyway, back to the main episode. All right. Sorry about that. We're back. But before we go, I do want to say one thing about this now, I guess, like eight-month-old war in Ukraine and what it's what it, it says about the state of where we are, not just like in America, but as a world with with how we respond to geopolitical crises and anything that's of major note in in the news and in international circles, domestic circles too, but focusing internationally here. It's unbelievable to me that we still have such firmness in having to be this or that on this issue you either have to be ukraine is sent from god above the best country ever with a government filled of of practically missionaries of christ or you have to be hey i think that Putin guy is not too bad this is such bullshit is such bullshit that is then used to distract from all the pertinent things that are happening around such a crisis like this while we're busy fighting over which one you are. So if you've heard me talk about it, you know where I stand from a general standpoint. I think Putin is a fucking horrible human being. I think he should have been out of power a long time ago. I think he never should have been in power. If you've heard David Satter's episode number 92 and the stuff that he and guys like Alexander Litvinenko uncovered over the years as far as like what Putin was doing to get a grip on power. He's, he's an awful dude and he's, he is bad for the world. And the problem is like, who's going to replace him. That's always an issue. It's like, is that person going to be just as bad? So it's not just as simple. It's like, Oh, take him out. But yeah, I, I, I think that the invasion of Ukraine was horrible. I, I, I don't buy it all that the let's say some of the carelessness of NATO in any way could be anywhere near enough to 
merit what what Putin did to go into a sovereign nation like this. I, I just don't. I, I, I don't think the West was fucking coming into Russia. I just don't think that. It makes absolutely no sense. So yeah, I I, I think he's at he's at fault for this whole thing. I also know that there are all kinds of economic proxy wars happening around this thing. And I also know that while you have 45 million Ukrainians, largely whom are good normal citizens whose country is being invaded right now and it's horrible, you do have a government there that has been a constant source of repeated power vacuums since the beginning of its fucking existence. You know, Zelensky's like this outsider at this point who I just feel like they, you know, the international media uses the fuck out of that guy. I, I, I think. I think it's really admirable that, that he's he stayed and and fought and is doing his thing, but I I think I think he's in over his head with, with that with the attention that people pay him and what they say they're going to give him and stuff. It, it doesn't make him look good, and I I think that's sad. But either way, this guy was an actor who came in there and eventually got into government and whatever it was twenty eighteen twenty nineteen and tw- maybe twenty seventeen, but. All this other shit was already there when he got there. This was already a clusterfuck filled with corrupt people before he got there. You think those people just left because he walked in? No. No. So I constantly find myself wondering what the real what the real struggle is in the middle of this crisis because it's almost like if if, if you're talking about all the governments who are practically profiting off of Ukraine's strife here, like the country's strife. And then you look at the dude causing all of it, Putin. It, it doesn't feel like a good guy. And I'm down to change my opinion on that, but we're eight months in and I haven't seen good evidence to pull me off of that stance. So now we have another clusterfuck in the middle of it. And you know, maybe it'll reveal something. The cynic in me says it'll reveal nothing. And it'll just continue to be a constant source of bickering to distract everyone from whatever the fuck it is all these people are doing to make money. That's that's all it is. I don't know. Sometimes I feel negative when it, when I talk like that and I just feel like it's spreading negativity. But you got to be a realist on some stuff. And that is what it is. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed my little ramble today. And that said... You know what it is. I'm Julian Dory. Give it a thought. Get back to me.